Father, we just thank you once again this morning for your mercy, for your kindness, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, O Lord. We just come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, even as we now meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Cleanse us by the washing of water by the word. And continue to separate us from this system, from the patterns of this world. And a pattern of God will be established in our lives. To that end, I pray that you would bless and anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we've been looking at building a sanctuary. We need to, the whole purpose of the teaching is that we should become a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. We'll just read that. It says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He just Verse 2, verse, chapter 2, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then verse 21 and 22 will say, in whom the whole building fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We will probably just divide this once in in a future study and you have to look at the incredible number of words and the concepts that are actually put together in these two uh, four verses. But That is not the purpose of today's study. The purpose of today's study is to uh, reiterate the fact once again that we need to become a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Okay, So in order to become a dwelling place of God in the spirit, two foundations are necessary. The apostolic doctrine and the prophetic correction. We are being built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Alright, and that is a pattern that has been shown to us. And exactly what uh, Exodus chapter 25 verse 8 and 9 will say. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell according, uh, dwell among them according, a pattern that accords, according to all that I show you. That is a pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. The pattern of the tabernacle and what should be inside the tabernacle. All its furnishings just as you shall, uh, just so you shall make it. Just so you shall make it. Don't change it. Retreats again. 26.30 Exodus. Okay. And you shall raise up the tabernacle According to its pattern which you were shown on the mountain. So he is very serious about it. Yes, I want to dwell amongst in your midst. But 
that dwelling place should be according to the pattern that I show you. And you know that, again, this pattern has to be given to us. It has to be revealed to us by the Spirit. We looked at that again in First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 11, and verse 12, and verse 19. And David gave his son Solomon the plans or the patterns, okay, of the vestibule. And verse 12 will say, and the plans or the patterns of that he had by the Spirit, if you actually put it in the KJV, and verse 19, it says, all this said David, uh, all this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the works of this pattern. There's a pattern we are looking at, right? A pattern to be followed, okay? And then, um, so in the, even in the new covenant, we are also asked to build ourselves ourselves up in the most holy faith. But how do we build? We also are given a pattern. Okay. So, what are those patterns? Is a very important thing. Okay, we'll just directly jump into the subject today. What are those patterns? Acts chapter 2 verse 40. Onwards, 40 to 42. <clears throat> And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who were who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The first pattern is the pattern of the teaching or doctrine. That's the first pattern. Okay. According to all that I show you, the so one pattern that is God shows us, He establishes that pattern in teaching. So, if turn with me to Second Timothy chapter one, verse thirteen, if you can put it in the yeah NIV, maybe let's see. Yes, is it NIV? Okay, what what you heard from me? Okay, what you heard from me. Keep as the pattern of sound teaching. You understand that? Okay. It's actually the Greek word here is very interesting. Hypotypos. <laughs> Type means pattern. Hypotypos means the exact pattern. According to the pattern. So, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern or become a steward of this pattern of sound teaching with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Okay. And verse 14. It's very interesting. That good thing which was committed to you, keep or guard by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Keep it as a guard. That pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me, guard it with all your heart. So all of you who are listening, okay. So you're listening to some teaching. Understand the teaching and grab it and hold on to it. Guard it with all of your heart because it says we have to contend for the most holy faith which is once and for all delivered to the saints. And in fact, in the Telugu it says um, you have to contend for the teaching that was once and for all delivered to saints. Okay, that's the word bodha. Okay, apostle of the bodha, ante, the teaching basically. Hmm? If you can uh, if you can look, in, uh, look at it in uh, the same uh, verses 13 and 14 together in the NLT. <clears throat> I hope there is, okay, hold on. To the pattern of 
What teaching? Right teaching or correct teaching you learned from me. And remember to live in faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in, lives within us. Carefully guard what has been entrusted to you. That means one of the most important deposits that God has given all of us is a deposit of teaching and the deposit of the Holy Spirit. You remember? Holy Spirit is also given us as given to us as a deposit, and the teaching is also given to us as a deposit, and both of these t- together have to be guarded by the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. This pattern of uh, right teaching. So there is a pattern of sound and wholesome teaching which should result if I believe in that teaching into and if I receive it by faith into a life. It has to transform me because the spirit, the word of God is not just to, for head knowledge. You know, there's a, the, 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 the word in Greek is epignosis. Yeah, exactly. It's experiential truth, experiential understanding. Hmm? Therefore, the wholesome teaching should lead to a way of life. Look at what it says again. That also we need to follow. Verse, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 verse 10 onwards. Yeah. Huh? So, but you have carefully followed my doctrine and my way of life. So, there's a pattern of doctrine, pattern of teaching, which leads to what? A manner of life and which leads to what? Purpose, which leads to what? Faith, which leads to what? Long-suffering, which leads to what? Love, which leads to what? Perseverance, persecutions. Afflictions which have happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Atlistra, what persecutions I endured and out of all of them the Lord delivered. So what should the teaching lead to? It, it has to lead you to a pattern of life. And it has to give you a new purpose. That you no longer live for your own purposes. The, there is only there is one purpose which is important. The purpose of God. All things work together for the good of those who are be called. Who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. That is the, the, the whole purpose of teaching. So you have to follow my teaching. You follow my manner of life. You follow my purpose. You follow my faith. And you see the fruit of the spirit which, which is being manifested over here. Purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance. Yeah, all of this is important. Endurance, pers- afflictions. All this, oh, that's that's what it says. What what good is it if I give my body to be burnt, and if I don't have love? I, I I'm totally holy. I'm separated for God. I'm zeal. I'm zealous for God. One ma, telugu loka ma ko evanto dente vairagyalo sikharong kani premalo patalo. You know what he says? But as far as separation is concerned, this fellow is already on the, on the top of the mountain. But as far as, in as far as love is concerned, he's as good as he's in hell. Okay. means separation. Zeal. In as far as that is concerned, he is there on top of the mountain. But as far as love is concerned, he's close to hell only. It's a remarkable thing, no? What a what a statement that is. I was stunned when I heard that statement. I said, I can never forget this. 
because we are all like that. We are, especially when you are young. Oh my goodness! Look at my zeal! Look at my zeal! Look at my zeal! You are zealous, <laughs> but there is no love in that zeal. Hmm? Understand that? So he says, "You have followed my manner of life. You have followed my purpose. You have followed my faith. You have followed my long suffering." So this sound, there's a pattern, the pattern of doctrine leads to a pattern of life, you see. And there's love, there's perseverance, there's persecutions, there's afflictions, which have happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endure, therefore you have to endure hostility. There should be, there will be a, a, a an opposition. And he says in verse 12, yes, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Meaning, so what is the, what is the, Proof that you have received sound doctrine, it leads to a way of life. And what is a proof that that way of life is, that authentic way of life, it will lead to persecution. And that is the reason why, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the, oh, kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, if blessed are you if men call you all kinds of names and call you as evil for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for there, for, for great is your reward in heaven. You see, this is, this is, this is a pattern of teaching which leads you to a pattern of living. Okay. You got that everybody? Okay. And therefore, that pattern of life will become a pattern for others to follow. Okay. First Timothy chapter one, verse 15 onwards. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. What is that? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And then, however, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for, 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 for everlasting life. So my pattern my way of life should become a pattern for others who are going to believe. For what? Eternal life. What a tremendous challenge, no? What a tremendous challenge. I obtained mercy. I received the teaching. My life got changed. I received the pattern of changing, uh, of teaching that resulted in a pattern of life and that pattern will become a pattern for others to follow after me unto what? Eternal life. That's exactly the purpose of teaching. The form of teaching. Form or a pattern of teaching. It's very important. So the first pattern is a pattern of doctrine. The doctrine which sets you free and makes you what? Slaves of righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 to 18. What then? Shall we sin because we are no longer under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And then, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that, the word is again, pattern of doctrine or teaching to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You see, you received a pattern of teaching and that pattern was right. And then what happened as a result of that, you were set free from sin and you became slaves of righteousness. 
You understand? Alright? The ultimate aim and challenge of teaching is that we also become patterns worth imitating. Therefore, Paul has the audacity to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me. Mimic me as I mimic Christ. What an audacious statement. Okay, the problem is, do we have plan B? No, 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 that was for Paul. We can go for, settle for a second best. What is second best? You see, actually I was uh, talking to my father-in-law now sometime back. Uh, he goes to the missions to the very remote places in Andhra, in Telangana. Actually, yeah, of course, now it's Andhra. Part of Andhra, part of Telangana. Established few churches, no? And we're having a discussion. And when in that discussion, you know, we were just looking, thinking about this. And I, I said, Uncle, I said, I call him Uncle, okay? I said, Paul, look at his life. Do we have a plan B, if not this this kind of life? He looked at him and he said, Vijay, no. There's no plan B. If we don't have this kind of an attitude, we may not have, we may not have this kind of a life. I mean, this life per se. But the attitude. See, martyrdom is just not going and uh, giving your, uh, dying for Jesus. Martyrdom is a way of life. That's the reason why it's called witness. And ye shall be my, and you know what the word witnesses means? Martyrs. You shall be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, sorry, yeah, Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. So this is very important to, to understand. This is an attitude. And we have to become a pattern. Ultimately, that should be our aim. That should be our aim. Okay, I may not be Apostle Paul right now, at least as, in as far as my, of course, definitely not. If you are honest. Okay. We have to become patterns worth imitating. Is there, is there a plan B? No. If we really, really, really have received that pattern of teaching which has led us to a pattern of life and that pattern of life should become a pattern for others to follow. you have any questions? Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. What does it say? I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved, oh yeah, go on, okay. As my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. And then, therefore I urge you to imitate me. As children would imitate their fathers. You understand that? See, you have many teachers. Oh, you go to the internet, you'll have fantastic teachers. But, there are fathers, but are there sons? What did, what did, what does Elisha call Elijah? My father, my father, the chariots of God, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. My father, my father. Did, uh, did he not have his father and mother? Of course he had his father and mother. He's talking about one spiritual mentor he was looking up to all his day, all the days of his life. That's a pattern. 
What did Jesus tell his disciples when he was there? Andrew and Peter, they were fishers of fishers. And he says, follow me. Immediately there, left their nets and followed him. Okay. Followed him. Okay, follow me. So that is the reason why we need a church set up and we need to have a kind of a family where, you know, we grow together. We have patterns established. Hmm? Okay. So the first pattern, I mean, first imitation, you know where it is, where it actually occurs? I mean, this of course it occurs here. Another place which occurs is a very uncomfortable place. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, first. Imitate me, just I, as I also imitate Christ, and then next verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you should remember me in all things and keep traditions as well as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man and the head of Christ is... Oh, what is the pattern therefore? Headship is a pattern. Do you have a head? That's what we call as covering, no? Jesus Christ himself said, I will not do anything unless I receive it from the Father. The Son can do nothing except what he sees the Father do. The works of the Father has given me. Could the Son not give anything? Um, could, could the Son not do anything to him by himself? Of course he could have done so many things by himself. But then he would have been, he would have failed in his mission. The whole objective of the Son was to establish a pattern of headship. So you can have some, so many teachers on the internet, but do you have a head? That is the reason why. See, going and listening to a sermon on the internet is not a big deal. That is not an issue at all. And they are fantastic teachers. But then, okay, then you will say, okay, fine. Whom should I come under? You should ask this question. Then you should you should make a deliberate choice wherever you are. And I, I remember um, Brother Zach Poonan's sons, you know, when they went to the United States, they started establishing churches. And then people from different, different places, they were hearing the teachings of Zach Poonan and his, of course, and, and the churches that he established. They all made a choice not just to be satisfied with the teaching on the internet, but to go there and come under headship. That's a pattern. Teachings, listening is <laughs> easy. But coming under headship? You understand what I'm saying? That's a pattern. So he, he, he says, Paul says, imitate me as I Oh, imitate Christ. So what is he asking the uh, the Corinthian church to see how I come under, under the headship of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ comes under the headship of God. I'm imitating Christ even as he imitates, I mean, comes under the headship of God. I'm also coming under his headship. Therefore, imitate me now. So every man come under the headship of Christ and every woman come under the headship of her husband. And all of you come under the headship of the church. It's better. Otherwise, you'll have no protection. 
That's exactly the condition of the church in Israel during the days of Ahab and Elijah. Where did Elijah go in uh, Zarephath? To a place, to a place, what? To a place, I mean, to the house of a widow. What does widow mean? No, no husband. No husband. It says in, I think Isaiah, it says, uh, there, there will be a time when all the women will be going and say, please be my husband, please be my husband. I forget that passage. If you can search it out for me, if later or not now. Please be my husband, please be my husband. There's no headship. That's exactly what happened to Hosea. Gomer said, I don't want to you, I want to come under your headship. God says, go. Marry her. So, first pattern that is established as what? The pattern of headship. What we call as coming under authority. Ajatmika netrutam kinda anichunadam, anigunadam. Coming under headship. Submitting yourself to authority. That is the reason I say submit yourselves. Um, you younger, submit your elders. All of you be clothed with what? Humility. If you, if you can find me, it's okay. Don't worry if you're do, if you do, if you not able to find it. Okay. So first pattern. You know, what is it verse? Which one? Isaiah? Ah, yeah. Isaiah 4. Isaiah, thank you. Isaiah 4 verse 1. Just put it for me, please, if you can. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man. Saying, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel only. Let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. They don't have a husband. There's no headship in their lives. And therefore, they're totally exposed to the elements. Completely. Sometimes I wonder why God has such a tender heart towards widows. Because he understands they are all absolutely vulnerable. But the problem is, so many people, churches are no longer widows, they are Babylons. And what does Babylon say? I am no, I am not a widow. I don't come under anybody. That's the first pattern. You understand? So what is the connection between following and becoming a pattern? It's a question. Right? You need to ask this question. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6, oh sorry, verse 5 to 7. Look at this beautiful connection. For a gospel did not come to you in word only. That means for what first came? What is gospel? Pattern of teaching. Okay, the first thing which came is a pattern of teaching. Look at the connection, look at the flow of thought over here. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were you among, uh, we were among you for your sake. So what did, what happened? See, the point, the point is this. The gospel came to them, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. How were they assured about the gospel by looking at the pattern of the of the men who brought the gospel? As to how the gospel worked in their own lives. And what is the result of this? Look at what it says in verse 6. And you became 
Oh, followers of us. You became imitators of us. And of the Lord. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So you you looked at the teaching. It did not come in only in Holy Spirit, in, in word. It came with Holy Spirit and with power. As you know what kind of people were we were among you. Meaning we showed you through our lives how this gospel has been working in our own lives. And then the moment you looked at us, you said, boy, this is true. And you became followers of us and then of the Lord. Boy, look at the tremendous power of the gospel. And you became followers of us and of the Lord and received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. Did you stop there? No, so that you became all patterns for others to follow. You see the whole connection over here? So what is the first pattern that is important there for? Doctrine. Doctrine. The gospel. So if any man preaches any other gospel other than what you have received, he says, let him be accursed. Because gospel has a particular pattern, meaning pattern means an order. What is our order? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And obey. Some people, that's exactly what happened in the Galatian church. They reversed the order. You know what they said? Obey and then believe in the gospel. Just order change ho gaya. Add kare usko. Circumcise yourself and then. Don't add, don't subtract. There's a particular order which God has Ordained, what is the order, what is the work that we need to do? Believe. First to believe. That's an order. Order means, yeah, that is an order and an order. Understand that. Okay. So, otherwise, if you miss this, there's a danger. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate or follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You have to imitate and follow those who through patience and uh, faith and patience inherit the promises. Now let me tell you something very important over here. Look at the what, what, what is he saying? Don't become sluggish. Slug, don't become sluggish. Sluggish is an adjective, right? Okay. So what is the noun form of a sluggish? Sluggard. Ah, thank you so much. Ah, very good. Very important. Okay. So what is spiritual sluggishness or laziness or who is a spiritual sluggard? Is a question. Ah. Okay. So because this verse 12 starts with the word that, that means something is proceeding over there. So let us look at the proceeding verses to understand the connection. Ah, turn to now same Hebrews chapter 6 verses uh, 7 onwards. 7 to 11, 7 to 12. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those whom it is cultivated receives the blessing from God. Okay. What is, what is the rain over here symbol, symbolizing? Teaching. 
Okay. And that teaching should result in a way of life. And if it results in a way of life, that means you have received a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burnt. And then, verse 9, but beloved, thank God. <laughs> That's what he says. Paul gives all these heart, uh, heart attack statements and suddenly he says, okay, but I think it's Paul, if uh, the writer of Hebrews is Paul. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things which accompany what? Salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister 11, 12, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you may not become sluggish. Don't become spiritually sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's so important. Follow those who through patience and faith have inherited the promises. Otherwise, you become what? A spiritual sluggard. And how do you know that is spiritual? You become a spiritual sluggard. The rain is falling, and what is growing? Thorns and briars. Is growing. And how do you know that if, if thorns and briars are going, you are a spiritual sluggard? NIV. Okay. Proverbs chapter twenty-four, verse thirty. Onwards, okay. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come everywhere. <laughs> you look at that. The ground was covered with briars and weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. And then I applied my heart to, obs- to what I observed and learned to listen from what I so, in other words, this is the pattern that I should not follow. <laughs> That's the point. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding on of the hands to, uh, of the hands to rest. Poverty will come onto you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. What does it mean? If you are not following those who are by patience and uh, patience and what patience and faith are inheriting the promises, you are you are what you are sluggish. You are becoming a sluggard, and what is automatically happening in your life? Thorns and briars are growing, stone walls are fallen. So many people are so concerned about their earthly lives. If the stone walls fall in their homes, do they immediately not uh, um, repair it? Of course, they repair it. If briars and thorns are growing in their garden, will they not go and uh, tend it? Of course they will go and tend it. My landlord, from there he calls me. How are the plants doing? How are the plants doing? Are the plants being watered? Everything is safe? All the walls are secure? He's so concerned about his building. Very, 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 very uh, concerned about it. Right? From there he keeps calling. And that should be good. That's a good attitude to have. But are we equally concerned about our spiritual life? What is thorns and briars? Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things, and pleasures of this life. What has happened? It has choked the world. And the whole rain is falling, but what is growing? Thorns and briars. Why? See, thorns and briars, they grow naturally. Automatically. You just leave it to yourself, you will continue to sin. You don't have to plan to sin. 
But to be righteous, there should be an intention. Otherwise, you know, it's not possible. No? Okay? So, follow the pattern of sound teaching which leads to a way of life and therefore follow those people who imitate those people and become that person. You know, some lot of times, you know, we get these questions. Oh, I found uh, uh, so many Christians are like this and uh, I didn't find good examples. Okay, fine. But that does not mean that Christianity is not true. Okay, if good examples are not there, can you become one? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, that is difficult. Can you become a good example? No, no, that is a little difficult. Can you become a pattern? It's a remarkable thing, right? Daniel could have also said the same thing. Oh, there are no good good examples for me to follow. But, you know what he decided? In the midst of a compromised Christendom or Judea, uh, Judea, Jews, he said, you know what? I will not defile myself. He chose. And the moment he chose, God said, I am with this fellow. And then movement he chose immediately three others. Only three. Not many. Not many. Only three. Oh, a lot of people give excuses like this. Oh, there are no good patterns. There are no sufficient patterns. Can you become one then? Ah, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, what am I? All false humility will come. Oh, what am I? I am nothing. Ah. Hello. You think because uh, you have some good good things in you that God has chosen you? They are all false humility. Oh, no, no, no. Don't follow me. Follow Christ, okay? That's all false humility. <laughs> okay. So first, follow the form of sound teaching. There is a pattern of sound teaching which has to also become our life as well. Good. Next. In the sound teaching, there are, of course... Several other foundation, foundations again. We know those foundations. What is what is the pattern of the doctrine we need to follow? Let us go to the foundations. Very simple. Hebrews chapter 6. Because we are preparing a sanctuary and therefore the patterns have to be very, very clearly established. We know this very well, but we will look at it again. No problem. Hmm? Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary teachings about Christ and let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of first, what? Repentance from acts that lead to death. I think this is uh, NIV. Can you just put put it back in the KJV? Yeah. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Six foundational principles which are being given. The first thing, the pattern of teaching, first of all, determines or uh, explains or um, uh, describes the pattern of repentance which is acceptable to God. Okay? You understand what I am saying? First is the pattern of repentance from what works? From dead works. That's the first thing. What does this mean? Coming to realization that all that I have done, which can be characterized as good, as good works, cannot take me one inch, that is for people who don't understand lesser lesser demarcations, 
for all our software engineers. One millimeter, nanometer, hmm? closer to God. All the things that you have done, repent. What is genuine repentance? Coming to realization that all the good works, so-called works which I have done, which can be characterized as good, cannot take me one inch or one meter, centimeter, millimeter, nanometer closer to God. They might have done a lot of good to the, to the society or to my family or whatever. But in as far as God is concerned, they are absolutely useless. KJV, Psalm 16, verses 1 and 2. We know this very well. But let me, let me put it, put it for those people who do not know one of the masculines of David. This is called, uh, Davidu Rasika. Hmm. Rasika means uh, a song of pleasure, a psalm of pleasure. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Where am I putting my trust? In thee. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not unto thee. You are so far apart from me that all the good that I can conjure up cannot take me one inch closer to God. That is realization. Okay. It is traumatic, but it is good. Therefore, stay in KJV, okay? Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 will say, we looked at it yesterday, but it's no problem. But we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses, I like that, because there is no plural form for the Hebrew equivalent over here. Tzadekhenu, Tzadekhenu, that's the word. Tzadek, Tzadek means righteousness. Tzadekhenu is all the righteousnesses that I can conjure myself. Oh, this is not acceptable to you? Okay, let me try something else. This is not. You can try whatever another son. What are they? Not even an iota of uh, value they have in as far as God is concerned. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Meaning, whatever I do cannot become equal. Equity means what? Equal to God. Everything is absolutely nonsense. In other words, before God. Absolutely. Nothing can be is acceptable to God. Why you will say? In other words, nothing can give me a right standing with God. I'll give you an example. Telangana electricity board. The government has no money. Hmm? So what are they doing? They are thumping on us last year's electricity bill. Hmm. So, for some people, it's a great thing because they're getting less, 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 uh, less bill. For some people, poor people who have, uh, you know, moved from one apartment to the other, that fellow might have been, might have been using the air condition last year and suddenly the electricity bill is 7,000 rupees, let's say. 7,000 rupees electricity bill. Then he says, Baba, uh, that is because of the lockdown. Last year's electricity bill, they're sending to everybody because the fellow cannot come to our home and to see how much, how many units we have consumed. So he is just thumping on us the last year's electricity bill. 
Now, if this fellow has to have continuous apply for, of, of electricity into his home, what should he do? He has to pay. In other words, in order to have, for him to have a right standing with the Telangana State Electricity Board, for the continuous supply of electricity to come, he has to reconcile his debt. Notwithstanding the fact that that is not his debt. But in order for him to have a correct standing with the electricity board, to have continuous supply of electricity, he should say, okay, he should pay the bill, otherwise he will cut the connection. You know that very well. They are very good at cutting connection. They are waiting for opportunities. Now you will go to the board and say, Sir, first of all, this is not my bill. I came from other places, this place. Is it going to matter to him? No. You will also get a contact certificate from, let's say, from your office and say, Sir, you know what? I did a lot of good good to the society. This is my contact certificate. Can it give you one element of favor with the electricity department? No. Sir, you do not know, sir. I am a person who runs the on orphanage. You see the so much of good I've done to the society. You will say, please pay the bill for continuity, continuity of electricity. In other words, to have a right standing with the electricity department, I should have reconciled all my dues with him. Now, when I sinned once, I have a tremendous debt that I owe to God. What is the debt? The wages of sin? Death. That is a debt I owe to God. Now think about it. How much of work can I do in order to fulfill that? Nothing. And so what true repentance is? Coming to that realization. That is what we call as spiritual poverty. I am poor. Lord! That's what we are singing in that song, no? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the, to thy fountain fly. Wash me savior or I die. What will, what I will get is death anyway. Unless and until you clothe me with your righteousness. That is what it means. Coming to the realization that all that I have done cannot give me one one, one favor mark, one brownie points with God. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. So think about religion. Think about all the worldviews which will say, you know what? We don't need Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. What are you talking about? Do you have a plan B? What is your plan? Oh, we'll do a lot of righteous works. You think that your righteous works can bring you one inch closer to God? Do you know who God is first of all? Do you know, you have any concept of who God is? The God, the unknowable. That is not what the Bible says. God is a God who lives in unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. That means, what is unapproachable light? Meaning, I can't approach it. So when Jesus came, it says, in him was light. This is, he says, this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, but men loved darkness. What, 
what are they? What is darkness? Not just necessarily works done in the darkness. Whatever work that you thought was light was absolute darkness when compared to God. And the problem is, they love their darkness. Why? How can I give up this darkness, Baba? You mean to say that all that I did in all these years is nothing before God? Absolutely. Look at the prayer of this great man, Daniel. Put it in KJV again, okay? Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 16 onwards. Sorry, not Jeremiah, Daniel chapter 9, verse 16 onwards. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee. You see that, how he starts off? Let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your, your holy mountain. Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all that are about us. And then, now therefore, O Lord our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication and cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Verse 18, O my God, incline your ear and hear Open your eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before you for our what's that again? Righteousnesses. You see that? But for your great mercies. He got it man. That is the reason why you know what God calls Daniel? Greatly beloved. Exactly. You want to be accepted in the beloved? come to the realization that all our righteousnesses is absolute nonsense. Now, who's this? who are these people? This is a remnant. Now, remnant, they are only saved. They understand that we are remnant. We are only remnant. Okay, fine. But we are remnant, not we. God uh, preserved us as a remnant, not because of our righteousness. Not because he saw anything good in us. It was his sovereign will. Meaning whatever we thought will give a right, will give us a right standing before God will, cannot make me right before God. There is only one way we have, that we can have a right standing before God. Acknowledging first that all my righteousnesses is as filthy rags, is an abomination to Him. It stinks before His nostrils. Repentance therefore is coming to the realization that I am bankrupt before God. Empty. That's the reason why this hymn writer will say, drops of grief cannot repay the debt of love I owe. That's the reason why he says, owe no man anything except the death of love. Why? Why? Paul says, I am under debt obligation to the Jew, uh, to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So in order for us to come to this realization, four things have to happen. How many things have to happen? Four. So let us look at those examples from the Bible. It's not, I mean, not, uh, when I say four things, these are principles, okay? This is, uh, uh, yeah, they should happen this way, I believe. Let's, let's look at this, no? Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And verses 1 to 4 first. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory or kabod. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. The first thing that has to happen is confrontation. What is that? Confrontation. With what? With the holiness. With the standard of God. That's the first point. Okay. First thing has to happen. First C, if you will. I got these four C's from one man, one man of God. I just got the four C's. The rest I only did, okay? The four C's. First is confrontation. What is it? Confrontation with God, or we call it in the new covenant terms, confrontation with the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. Both these things is, is, is important. That is the reason why religion is a smokescreen. To cover up all our lies. That's what God tells uh, the Pharisees. You are what tombs? Whitewashed tombs. But you are deep down inside. You are full of uncleanness and dead man's bones. We call it Taj Mahal today. And we take off our chapels and also go inside. Dead man's bones. How beautifully we decorate our uncleanness. That is the reason why God says, I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. There is, that, is, that is what we call as godly sorrow. What is godly sorrow? Coming to the realization. And there is a sorrow of the, you know, what, what's, what's the word? What The word for world here is the sorrow of the cosmos, from which we get the word cosmetic. There is a cosmetic repentance also. Cosmetic sorrow. That's the reason why all tears are not tears, no. Can tear, can your tears fool God? No, no, he sees through your tears. <laughs> oh, let's see, he, do, he doesn't look at our weeping. He asks us a question, why are you weeping? He doesn't see the weeping, he hears the voice of our weeping. Do you know that? Psalm 8, if I'm right. If my memory is right. I think so. If I'm wrong, forgive me, okay? Uh, Psalm 9. I don't know. I, 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 I forgot the Psalm. I think he's, he's, one of the Psalms. I don't, I don't remember exactly which Psalm. He says 6 8. Yeah. Psalm 6 was 8. What does it say? Psalm 6 was 8. Depart from me, all you workers of the of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. So I'm weeping, but that weeping has to have a voice. And God is interested in that voice, not in your weeping. Lot of cosmetic weeping is going on. That is what we call as worldly sorrow. Cosmetic sorrow. To put it in that way. It's like this, no? Some actors, when they act, when they emote, they don't need to have glycerin, apparently. They can emote just like that. But do they, do you mean that they are really feeling that character? It's cosmetic only. They can act so well that they don't need glycerin to (laughs) get the tears out. 
they say an actor is the best if i mean they say if an actor can weep and convince people that he is weeping that means he is the actor a lot of our telugu actors can't weep fellows poor fellows no how can they weep baba you are living in your nice comfortable house with all the luxuries in your life and suddenly you have to do a scene where you have lost this and lost that and lost that your reality and what you are supposed to live live out as a character is completely different how can weeping come out that is cosmetic only no that is the reason why it's called as hypocrisy what is hypocrisy acting you put a mask hypocritos means mask so god sees through all the cosmetic weeping see there cannot be authentic tears without a confrontation to show what your reality actually is to tell you look at this you are covering yourself with all these smoke screen but this is absolutely a whitewashed tomb but inside deep down inside you are full of uncleanness and dead man's bones acting otherwise so many people cry but god says why are you crying the first person who was crying was i believe hegar he said hegar why are you crying baba first of all where are you coming from where are you going in fact hegar is crying god hears the cry of the of the child not of, not even of hegar god is not interested in the weeping of unbelief what did i tell you hegar will i told you that your son is going to be a mighty nation did i not tell you and if i have already pronounced a blessing and a promise on your child will he die no why are you weeping then the weepings of unbelief god will not act not not accept that is the reason why there could not be repentance in esau good esau could not be turned back to repentance even though he sorted diligently with tears because they were all what cosmetic sorrow not godly sorrow what do you, what kind of a sorrow do you have is a question do we have cosmetic sorrow that is the reason why we should be very careful as to as to when we cry our emotions are to be really really true genuine emotions can god put our tears in a bottle or not because lot of people think because they wept so much that have repented that could be weeping which is cosmetic so therefore first thing that has to happen is an confrontation about the truth about about god and the truth about your self condition your genuine condition has to be confronted confrontation with the truth and that's exactly what the word of god does it shows us our pride it shows us our shows us our hardness it confronts our uh, what do we say uh, our arrogance let me give you examples second kings chapter 26 verses 50 uh, 13 onwards 13 this is talking about uzziah second kings chapter 26 verse 13 onwards if i'm right Oh, this is it second chronicles second chronicles second chronicles second chronicles 26 cha 26 second chronicles 26 verse 13 onwards 
And under his authority was an army of 307,500 that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them for the entire army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows and slings to cast stones. So he had uh, missiles also. Okay, those days, the whatever missiles, catapults, whatever you want to call it. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he became strong, his heart was lifted up to his Destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Let me tell you something, what is happening. His success in military, his strength now became what? His righteousness. Now, we need to always ask this question. Does success humble us? Our success makes us proud. Even in the ministry. See, that's what I said. If any man succeeds, fails, I mean, if any man uh, runs after something, he's bu- without God, he's bound to fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. Success. Now it becomes his righteousness. It becomes a stumbling block. Jesus either is a stumbling block or a sanctuary, somebody said. If you trust in your own righteousness, he becomes a stumbling block. If you believe, if anybody falls on this rock, then he becomes your sanctuary. If the rock falls on you, you become powder. The choice is yours. Stumbling block or sanctuary. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And next next verse, look at what it says. And so Azariah the priest went in after him. And with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. They withstood King Uzziah and said to him, what kind of men were they? Valiant men. You need, you need to understand, to confront kings those days is not easy. He had to be a valiant man because a king could command a lot of lot of stuff. Who actually supported the temple? Taxes that the king imposed, right? The king who had to be king is the executive branch. Okay. So Azariah the priest went after him and said, "Valiant men," and they withstood king, confronted him, and said to him. Is it not for you? It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall receive, you know what the word for honor is? No glory from the Lord your God. In other words, this is not going to give you what? Any right standing before God. You thought it's going to give you a right standing before God. No, 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 no. You stumbled. And what happens next verse? Next verse. Then Uzziah came, became furious and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord besides the incense altar and he rushed out. You have to be confronted first. 
But how do you respond to the confrontation? Not like Uzziah. Angry. There was another guy who was confronted like this. We'll go to Saul. Okay. His name is Asa. Okay. 16, Second Chronicles. 10 chapters before. And let, let us read from verse 7 onwards. I'm giving examples, okay? And at that time, Hanani, the seer. You know what the word Hanani means? Grace. So what does grace do? It confronts the sin in us, basically. That's the point. The Hanani, the seer. The seer means a prophet. Who, one who can see through every pretense and every cosmetic whatever, no? Came to Asa, the king of Judah and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God. Somebody else has become your righteousness now. And therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. And the next verse was on, were the Ethiopians and the, and the Lubim not a huge army and very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he, did, he delivered them on from your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro toward the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore from now on you will have wars. And then what happens to the next guy? And Asa was angry with the seer. Adi. When somebody confronts you with the truth, what will, what will you become? You will become angry with the seer and put him in prison for he was enraged because of this and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Okay. <laughs> the moment you are confronted with the truth, it becomes you become angry. That's what happened even in uh, Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. It says, when people heard Peter speak, they were to their hearts and they said men and brother and what shall we do when they heard Stephen speak they were cut to their heart and what did they do they gnashed their teeth and they killed him so how do you first thing that has to happen to you in order to bring godly sorrow is what confrontation about your true condition that means all this all that you do is only cosmetics to hide your true condition Another place. First Samuel chapter 15. Verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, <laughs> were you not the head of the tribes of Israel and did not the Lord anoint you the king over Israel? And then, now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the, destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down to spoil and to do evil in the sight of the Lord? And then, and Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He's been confronted, but he's not going to change. And gone on the mission on which the Lord has sent me and brought back Agag, the king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But that's not the truth, right? Turn to verse uh, 25. 25, yeah. Now therefore, please pardon. Actually, actually 24, 24. 24, yeah. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord your God. Lord of the Lord, your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Still not ac 
accepting his true condition. He still wants what? Cosmetic. It's all cosmetic repentance. But there is only one man, at least in as far as the Old Testament is concerned, actually two, Micah and David. When they are confronted with the truth, you know what they said? I have sinned and the Lord says, I put away your sin. First thing therefore what has to happen in our lives is a confrontation about our true condition. Let us look at an example in the New Testament. John's Gospel chapter 4. And you'll see that exact verse. I forgot to put it here. John's Gospel chapter 4 and verse uh, 15 and 16. Actually, we'll read from verse uh, 13 onwards. 13 onwards. 13 onwards. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting or eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. That means what does she want? She wants a problem, physical. uh, I I don't have to come here again, please. Get rid, um, please rid me of all my problems again. Jesus answered, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have well said, you have no husband, for you have had five, and one whom you have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. You know what he said? I know. I know what you're saying. I know what you're doing. You're covering all your sorrows in this smoke screen, in this outer covering. I know your true condition. You confessed it now. The moment he confessed, she confesses. And she's confronted by the truth, she confesses. So what's the second step? First confrontation, then is confession. Okay. Go to Isaiah chapter 6, therefore. And verse 5. Woe is me, <laughs> for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How did he come to that conclusion? Because for my eyes have seen the king, the lord of hosts. Now I am confronted by the truth of God. I have been confronted by my own condition. Therefore what comes out of my mouth is a confession. Confession, Lord. I am undone. I am nothing. I am absolutely nothing without you. Very difficult, no? For people who are especially successful to come to this condition. But this is a pattern of repentance. First, you are confronted by the truth about God and the truth about your own condition. And then when you look at your, look at the truth about God and look at the truth about your own condition, what has to come out of you is the confession that you are absolutely nothing before God. Confession. Lord, I'm undone. What shall we do? Repent and believe. Don't do one thing. Repent first. That is genuine godly sorrow. There is confession. You know when you truly confess. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. Verse 7 onwards. If we walk in the light. As he is in the light. 
we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Okay. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. You see that? The, the, what is important therefore? You have a confrontation and then therefore there is a confession. Lord, nothing. And therefore, after the confrontation comes what? Cleansing. So what happens to Isaiah? Cleansing verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. 6 and 7, okay? Having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from the tongs from off the altar. We know this very well. Pastor talked about that. He touched my mouth with it and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. And your sin is purged. Confession. So we have confrontation. We have confession. You have cleansing. Does it stop there? No, 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 no. You know what happens after that? Verse 4. Let's go to verse 8. Also I heard a voice saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. So you have confession, sorry, you have confrontation, then you have confession, then you have cleansing, then you have commission. God commissions you now. That's exactly what happened to the lady, you know. Come, see this man who has told everything concerning me. Is this not the Christ? Everything. Out of your life starts flowing rivers of living water. That is the pattern of repentance. You see that? There's a repentance, there's a pattern of godly sorrow which leads to repentance. There's a confrontation about the truth of your own condition. And the confrontation of the reality about God, who God is. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are, we have been entrusted with the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Therefore we say, please be reconciled to God. Reconciled to Him. What is reconciliation? I am not able to reconcile these two accounts. That's what we say, right, Sam, in the tally? The accounts are not being reconciled. What can you give to God in reconciliation, Baba? Only one thing. The finished work of Jesus on the cross. That is the only thing. And what is stopping you is your confession. But what we do in our confession, we have blame game. It's called as finger pointing. What is it called? Finger pointing. Go to Isaiah chapter 58. And verse 8, if I'm right. Verse, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Hold on, just a minute. 58, where it says you have to uh, take, verse 9, sorry, so verse 9, yeah. Then you shall call on the Lord, 
and then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. Don't point fingers at others. And verse, verse 10, then what happens? If you extend your soul, actually verse 8 onwards, right? Yeah, we'll look at from verse, verse 8 onwards. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall bring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your reared guard. What, when, when will all this happen? When you take away from your midst the pointing of the finger. Just take away finger pointing. You know why I'm like this? Because of my parents. You know why I'm like this? Because of my wife. You know why I'm like this? Because of my children. Forget about pointing. Take responsibility. Say, Lord, I am unclean. My people are also unclean. It's how it starts. We have done wickedly. We have sinned. We have sinned against you. We have done wickedly. Our forefathers also have sinned. But we never ever ever put the blame on our forefathers or anybody else. That's exactly what God tells uh, 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 the next generation which is going into the promised land through Moses. You know what he says? On this mountain you have to pronounce the blessing. On this mountain, you have to pronounce the curse. And he says, Cursed is any man who does not honor his father and mother. And you should say what? Amen. To whom is he saying? To the generation which lost 40 years of their precious life because of the sin of their parents. But they will never point fingers at their parents. They will say, Lord, we are responsible. We take responsibility for our actions. No finger pointing at all. Therefore, let your confession be genuine. When you're confronted, confess genuinely. Alright? So that is the pattern of uh, of confession. So, so of, of repentance. Therefore, um, uh, uh, the New Testament even gives a little more detail also. If you turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 7 uh, and verse 10 onwards. Look at what it says. For godly sorrow produces repentance. You know what the, the word in, in the KJV says, don't have to turn there. Worketh repentance. Works repentance. What, what, what works repentance? Godly sorrow works repentance. What does it lead to? It leads you to salvation. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world, I told you, you know, the cosmetics. Okay. Sorrow of the world is sorrow of cosmetics. The cosmetic sorrow produces what? Death. Godly sorrow. And then verse 11, you can see that. For we observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. He gives us all the patterns of repentance here. What, what, did, what, did, what did it produce in you? It produced diligence. Something happened inside. You are not doing. Something is happening. You are being now. It produced clearing of yourselves. It produced indignation. It produced fear. It produced vehement desire. It produced zeal. It produced vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You were absolutely radical. When you were confronted with the truth about your condition. That is the pattern of Repentance. Acts twenty twenty one. 
Acts 20, 21. Testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance towards God and what? Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. First, repentance from dead works and faith toward our Lord. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6 now. Yeah, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go out to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance. There's a pattern of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. What's the second one? Faith. What is faith? You want to know the definition of faith? Hebrews chapter 11 was one onwards in ESV only. Okay, ESV. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is the faith. What is the conviction of not seen? I'll tell you, one of the convictions. Every man has of the things not yet seen, right? The conviction of things not yet seen. One conviction. Every man has to stand before the righteousness of about before the judgment seat of God and has to give an account of every idle word that he has spoken. Have you seen that yet? No. But if you have the conviction of that, what are the necessary actions that you are going to take on this side of the eternity so that the conviction of not yet seen will be proven in this life? What will you do? Zip your mouth. A lot. Be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to get angry because the anger of man does not produce the, produce the righteousness that God demands. Now faith, that means faith is a conviction of things not yet seen. Every man has to stand before the judgment seat of God. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. It is appointed to man to die once and judge, and then the judgment. And Romans chapter 2 will say, God is going to judge the secrets of men by the man Christ Jesus according to my gospel. That is a conviction of not yet seen. So what are you going to do now? You are going to take certain necessary decisions. We walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, we look forward to the things which are not seen. That is what faith is. right? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the last two verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the last two verses. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, with the things which are not seen are Eternal. In other words, we have a strong conviction of what is going to wait us on the other side of eternity. And therefore, because we have strong convictions, we stand firm in faith. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. If you can put it in, um, yeah, NIV or NSV, so fine. Yeah, NIV, NIV. Yeah, so let's read it in NKJV first. Sure, 
If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Verse 9 again in, yeah, in, uh, this is NIV. Yeah. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And faith is in whom? Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That is the only firm foundation we have. This is the firm foundation. The Lord knows those who are His and anyone who names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ should depart from iniquity. There's a firm foundation. Okay. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand, says NLT. If your faith is not firm, uh, if you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So there are strong convictions of the things which are not seen. And because they are not, they are strong convictions of things not seen, you are making certain decisions here on this side of eternity. Because you know, you have a strong conviction of things not seen. For example, zip your mouth. Therefore, what will, what will you do? Turn to 7, 9. Sorry, 7, 4. Isaiah 7, 4. 7, 4. Four things you do. You take heed. You be quiet. So that you will not be fearful. Nor be faint hearted. You will take heed. You will be quiet. So that you are not fearful. Neither be faint hearted. So there is a pattern. Of repentance from work. From dead works. And faith towards God. Three patterns we looked at today. First pattern is what? Pattern of doctrine or teaching. That doctrine should lead to a manner of life, a pattern of life. And that manner of life should be worthy of imitation. Okay. So, in the doctrine part, we looked at first part. What is the part? What is the pattern? Pattern of repentance. In the pattern of repentance, we have again four parts. True repentance takes place when we are first confronted. Confronted by what? The truth about God and the truth about yourself. And the truth about God of God and the truth about yourself leads to genuine confession. That is basically not cosmetic confession, genuine confession. You know what you truly are. That's exactly what happened to Apostle Paul. What has happened to Apostle Paul? When he was on the way to Damascus, he saw light as 10,000 suns. Finished. Over. He fell on his face and he says, <laughs> That's what he says. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Because why? Because they trying to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You please turn to Romans chapter 10 and we will finish with this thought today. Hmm? I'm going to, I'm going very slow and I want to establish it step by step, step by step. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Why? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. What are they ignorant of? God's righteousness. And seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
In other words, you know, when John Piper puts it this way, he says, Christ for righteousness to everyone who believes. He is the standard. Believe in his work, you will be reckoned righteous before God. So first, confrontation about yourself and confrontation about the holiness of God or the truth about God and truth about your condition. Second, which leads to genuine confession. And once you genuinely confess, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. It leads to cleansing. Your guilt is taken away by having been justified by faith. You have what? Peace uh, peace with God. Having been justified by faith. Yeah. Having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. And you have a right standing with God. You are reckoned absolutely righteous. Therefore, first you have confrontation. Then you have confession. Then you have cleansing. And fourth, after that, you know what happens? You have a commission. You know what God says? Who will go for us? Oh my goodness, what manner of love that God has confront, has shed upon us, bestowed upon me that I should be called a son of God. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Send me. And your life now becomes a pattern. You got it, everybody? Okay. So you have pattern of teaching, a pattern of repentance. Next, we want to look at the pattern of faith. That is a huge subject which we'll talk about in the coming classes. Because we are Building a sanctuary for the Holy Spirit to dwell. And we have to build it according to the pattern that is shown. First, therefore, we are establishing the pattern of doctrine. In the pattern of doctrine, we are looking at the pattern of repentance. Second, we will look at the pattern of faith and the rest. These two are important. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God, towards God upon which all the others will stand. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you once again for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for all your goodness and for your kindness and for your mercy that we enjoy every day of our lives. Father, teach us your ways. Show us your paths. And lead us in the way of everlasting life. Truly, Lord, nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. That's exactly what the thief on the cross did. We are suffering because we are unjust. But this man, even though he is just, he's suffering. And all that he said, Lord, remember me. He looked, he was confronted by the holiness of God. By the truth about God. And the truth about his own condition. He never blamed anybody else. And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. That is the power of genuine confession. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. This morning, let our confession be genuine. Let our repentance not be cosmetic. Let it be genuine. Let our tears be genuine. Grant us grace to that and we pray. We thank you. We praise you. For in Jesus name. Amen.